Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. We we are up and rolling. All right, cool. So, John, thank you for coming on. Um, You're pointing out the... The uh, little green screen, Zach and I, or at least I always try to put a green screen that, that goes with our guests. And so we've got X3, and that's your something, one of your inventions. So uh, we'll talk about that for sure. Uh, I just, like I said, I just got done working out. I, I wanted to do a workout with this morning right before I got on with you so I could have it fresh in my mind when I nice. talk to you. But um, tell us, John, tell us a little bit about your background for those folks that, that, that aren't familiar with you or your work. So uh, I started developing a medical device about 10 years ago, uh, which uh, ended up, uh, it's now called OsteoStrong. So the, uh, my mother was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And so I, I started just generally looking at what that dysfunction was. And it's a, it's a dysfunction of disuse, right? So like, when you don't work out and you're weak, we don't call that a disease. I mean, maybe, maybe we should because then maybe people will pay more attention to it. Uh, but so my, my mother had weak bone density and she was worried about all the challenges that go along with that and fragility fracture. And she knew that there were uh, the, the likelihood of an early death as a result of an osteoporotic fracture is similar to that of breast cancer. So uh, what I did was I, I, I said, okay, I'm going to see if I can figure out who the people on earth are who have the highest bone density and how they did it. And I found those people. It's very easy. And there, there are a lot of clinical data on gymnasts. And it's the rate at which they contact the ground that gives them this force through bone that triggers bone growth. So what I developed was a impact emulation device. And so uh, that's, that's at OsteoStrong locations. Now there's 70 clinics around the world in seven different countries. And uh, they're, they're expensive and robotic and they're $100,000. But uh, what I learned from that process, by the way, fixed my mother's osteoporosis in 18 months. She now has a bone density of a 30-year-old woman. And she's in her 80s. Uh, still doesn't eat the way I'd like her to, but <laughs> definitely address the bone density problem. But one of the most interesting things about the whole research project was how when we did, uh, did like a, 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 a small trial at a London-based hospital in, in East London and worked with some of the, the staff at the University of East London, <clears throat> I, I wrote the protocol of the study, but then when I, when I got the data back, I'm looking at some of the data and we have postmenopausal deconditioned population, right? These are not high performance athletes. These are quite the opposite. They were using six, seven, eight times their body weight through their hip joint. Self-created force through the hip joint. So we see that the human body is able of 
absorbing absolutely incredible forces. And the same thing, you know, in a chest press, if I put my hands out here, I can either produce or receive the greatest amount of force in sort of this position. It's 120 degree angle of inclusion from my upper arm to lower arm and the back of the hand in line with the clavicle. That's, that's the position you would normally assume if you were to receive high impact force, if you were to trip and fall. So I took all these biomechanics and, and then looked at, looked at the, the loading that was happening in these impact ready ranges of motion. I thought, wow, from a muscular perspective, if I were to come up with something similar from a muscular perspective, uh, we, we want full range, not partial range. And we'd want to be able to use a lighter load where you're, where you're weakest, a normal load where you're in the middle and then where the musculature is in its shortest position and you have an axial alignment of bone, then we uh, want a, a hyper load. And, and so the, the, the force curve kind of looks like this. For somebody who's listening to audio, you can't see that at all. But it's like a hockey stick. So basically, like you're, you're, everyone knows what they are in their weak range. And then in the mid range, you might go from X in X weight, one X weight in the, in the weak range, you might go to 2.5x and then you're at 7x capability at the top. And this is how all lifts go, like the top of a deadlift, everybody's powerful on the top of a deadlift, hence people do rack pulls, things like that. So I thought, okay, what if I can, like we've always had bands, banded training. And, and I thought, okay, well, the problem with bands is we typically add them to weights. What if we just double down on the, on the variance and for kind of forgot about static weight because based on what I saw and I compared the data that I had to, uh, and by the way, I, I did my PhD dissertation on the, on the bone density stuff. And that was going sort of well on its way. And this was like a hobby this this strength, strength training project. And so, because I, I was just curious, like I, I had worked out for 20 years and I didn't get a whole lot out of it. I mean, I, I, if I took my shirt off at the beach, nobody would have said, hey, do you work out? I look like a regular guy. Um, so what, ha what ended up happening uh, is w when I embraced this, like really going into the variance and the variance in cap capability and loading the body, in, in accordance to that, I realized we couldn't use bands alone. Because the problem is if I try and do a push up with one of the, one of the bands that you guys are using with X3, your, your hands would be twisted, you could, you could injure yourself. So the force that I was using, and I started using like pull up assist bands to try and come up with some way to do a chest press and some way to do a curl. And ultimately the band by itself, if you're going super light, like rehab weight, it's fine, but you're not gonna get a workout out of that. Like heavy equals growth. And if you can't go heavy, you're not gonna grow. So we're trying, to, we're trying to get the body, we're trying to game the system so that we can get even heavier loads through the musculature, especially in the ranges of motion where we can handle it. So then I decided, okay, like band training, there's a reason it never took off because you just can't get heavy enough. But if I have an Olympic bar that I can attach to, and then I have a second ground, a ground plate that the bands can move freely underneath and you can stand on top of, now we can do anything we can do with barbell, but we can do it with this strongest level of variable resistance.
And so that's, that was the invention of X3. Yeah. You know, it makes a lot of sense, John. I think like for folks listening and not watching, think of like a linear line graph versus an exponential line graph or an exponential curve. And that's kind of what, what John's referring to where when you're going through that full range of motion, it's not that even distributed force throughout. It's that increase as you get higher. And uh, so the other way to think about it, I guess, would be like you go to the gym. Sometimes you'll see these guys doing deadlifts or bench press and they'll have chains hanging on the side of their stuff sure. because they're trying to make it heavier near the top of the lift. And um, that makes sense as well. But from a logistical standpoint, a little harder to have that set up at your home or sure. uh, you can go through In- it. Right. And then the level of variance also, because I, I see some of these protocols where somebody might have X weight sitting on their chest and when they go to extension, they might have 1.2 X. Whereas to stay underneath the force curve, I want X on my chest and maybe five X at the top, not quite seven, because then you get kind of lost in the middle because the, um, there's an S curve. It's not linear with uh, the way latex stretches but the S curve is not exactly matched to the biomechanics curve and different movements are different. Like there's a different strength curve for the chest press that there is for the squat that there is for like the, you know, the bent over row, the actual strong position is in the middle of the movement, not at the top of the movement. Uh, So there's a little bit different biomechanics, but we apply the same principles to all these movements and uh, really powerful results. Yeah, one of the, I mean, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at the strength literature as it's coming out recently, and, you know, they talk about, you know, for muscle growth, you have to sort of maximally recruit or try to, or, you know, maximally intensively recruit these, these muscle fibers, you know, for growth. And, uh, you know, they, they talk about, you, you know, you can do it with lighter weights, you know, anything above 40%. But uh, the problem with that is that uh, – you got to do so many damn reps. I mean, you're, you're sitting there, you know, what I'm doing, some of the 40, you know, I might be up near 60, 70, 80, 100 reps before I get to that point. And, you know, I find that, uh, you know, something where, you know, you're in this, you know, if you're super heavyweights, you know, maybe, you know, five reps or something like that. And if you're, uh, if you're at, uh, you know, 30, 40 reps, you're still in a pretty decent place. Right. The, um, yeah, I, I, I do. I do definitely recommend a, a higher rep count because of that force curve. Uh, and, and the more I understand that, and the more more I studied that, and I, I even like it, it. There's big portions of of my book, which is called Osteogenic Loading, uh, which like I, I really covered like how absolutely powerful we are in that stronger range of motion. And it's just there's a lot of different strategies to get that in there. And I just, I just created a sort of a package around it, but now you two have been using X3. So tell me about your experiences. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and, and I've trained, you know, as you're, you know, I think bands, I don't know when they, when I was doing powerlifting 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, we, you know, bands were starting to come in vogue and then of course it changed and, you know, and then people were using reverse bands and all that stuff. And I used bands for my deadlift and, you know, I would put, you know, 400 pounds on the bar and jack it up with some bands and do some reps or, you know, sometimes might go a little heavier than that. And, and I, and I, that worked effectively for me. Right. Um, and I, and I, and I felt there was some value in that and, you know, the, the, the variable loading, you know, we got way back when, you know, and I think it still is effective even, even as an adjunct to standard deadlift training, which, you know, or, or you might do, you know, uh, 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 deficit deadlift. So I would combine deficits and bands and, you know, to kind of mix, mix all that stuff. So I've, I've had a lot of experience with that. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say, that I found with this is, you know, you've got to be motivated 
to do this the right way. And I think that's, that's, you know, because, you know, and I think the value, Chris Bell that. I was hanging out with Chris Bell last week. We, uh, yeah, we, I mean, I think the value is you can, you know, with, with 500 pounds on your back, you know, you're going to get squished if you don't do it, you know, with, with this, I mean, I think you have to switch on mentally and realize that you're going to have to go to failure and it's going to hurt and you're going to have to continue going when it hurts and you're going to have to go and then you're going to, you're going to do those. And I think there's value in, in, you know, we talked about on the phone early, the, the shortened range of motion as you progressively fatigue and you keep hitting that until you basically fail. So you just can't move. Yeah. And, and that's what I've found that that that's where it's very effective. Now I think you've got to be, again, you've got to be motivated. You just can't get in there and half-ass it and think you're going to get anything out of it. Right. And so I go in there. And then the other thing I found for me with the deadlifts is when I first did it, because there's such, you know, that orange band, that thing that's got, I don't know, you said it's like 640 pounds at the top, you know, when I'm it's 640 pounds top of the deadlift for yeah. me, but I'm six feet tall and you're yeah, six, five. So I might even, maybe it's even more. I don't know. Oh, it's well over seven, I think. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm in there banging it out. And, and uh, what I found is I, I quickly realized I had, to, I had to put a hook grip in because I was like holding it double overhand normal. I found out, I was like, whoa, I can't hang on to this thing. Oh, yeah. So I, so I put a hook grip on there and then it's fine. And then I can hang on to the thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I find that, uh, you know, as you know, I, I've just got to be motivated and I've got to be willing to hurt. And then, then it works. You know, it's kind of my heart rate gets jacked up. Even doing, I was doing biceps curls, which is not something you think of as a, you don't, you don't use a lot of musculature on the bicep, you know, normally, you know, normally if you're doing, you know, heavy, you know, high rep squats, then your, your heart beats beating like a freight train. But, you know, I was in there doing biceps curls. I was like, wait a minute, I got a high heart rate after doing biceps curls, which is pretty interesting. Cause I was doing the, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I do, I get to, you know, 15, 20 reps and then start cranking out those partial reps. And, uh, and then I felt that pretty good, but I was, I guess, you know, just kind of figure out which bands are appropriate for each, exercise yeah, takes a, a little, little trial and error there to play play it because you know i i started out doing uh uh you know ch uh, chest press i was like this one's too light for me so i gotta switch to the heavy one but uh sure. yeah no i've enjoyed it i mean i think you know i mean i, I there was there you know i give some feedback of things that i think that would be would you know maybe a potentially but you know it'd be neat you know like if you know i think you can make some handles like you know like you like on a chest you know on a cable crossover bar mm. where you've got you know just you know how the handles are I mean, I think that you could make those and hook it on there as well. So you could have a little bit, you know, because I'm a pretty big guy, you know, it's, you know, I'm pretty wide. And so I find that, you know, my natural grip for the chest press would be a little wider than, than, than what I've got with the bar there. So I would, you know, you know, I, you know, again, I don't know if there's. Sure. Well, two things. It's interesting. Um, when you have, uh, you know, the, the strongest people in the world, are they using barbells or dumbbells? They're using barbells. And when you choose to move something functionally with your upper body, now your lower body is pretty much one limb at a time. We walk on one leg at a time. Unless you're kangaroo, one leg at a time. But when you need to pick up something heavy, you're using both hands. And the problem is, I think with the, the, the single, you know, single side or, or uh, you know, bilateral versus unilateral, it's like functionally, if we had something to pick up, we wouldn't pick up two heavy things at once. So I, I believe there's neural inhibition that, which is why like you can see somebody who does a 400 pound bench press, but that doesn't mean they can bench press 200 pound dumbbells. And it's not just the stabilization firing that's going on. There's an inhibitory process. So I really stuck to just barbell because it's, it's superior, but also funny thing you mentioned, 
a wide grip chest press is great when you're in a contest. It's not great to grow your pectorals because the pectoral is shorter if my arms are right in front of me, right? Whereas if I take a wide grip, like I'm not able to really, you know, fully engage my pectorals. So I designed the bar for maximum muscle growth, not like if somebody's a weightlifter, like Chris and Mark Bell, for example, like they kind of said, like, how, how do I like, like, I'm not going to stop lifting. And I'm like, no, 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 no. In fact, if you stopped, you would screw that up. Like, because that's a, that's a skill, right? Like a golfer will become a better golfer if they do strength training, but if they quit golfing and do strength training for a year and go back and try and play around a golf, they're going to suck. So it's like, like you have one firing pattern, but then the way you look at X3 is this is for the maximum fatigue to trigger the maximum growth. And like, I, like I told you, like, use it as your last set, use it as your finishing set. And that way you you stimulate absolutely the most. And you're right. It's not a shortcut. Like it's hard exercise. You exhaust pretty quick. So the workout's quick, but man, you're leveled when you're done with it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I would describe my experience too, would be like, if I'm just pulling weight off the ground at the gym, I'm going to fail at the pull off point, not at the top point. So right. like with this, like I can get another couple reps in before I hit that fail point. Cause I'm not trying to kind of push through the weakness to get to the strength. And the way I kind of explained it to a couple of people who were more endurance based like myself, so they would understand it is think of it. Like if I were to go out and do a speed workout, it would be a lot more difficult for me to get a quality speed workout in if I just went right into the workout and had the hardest part as my first couple steps. Sure. Think of it like you do a little bit of a warm up and then you get into the sprint intervals or the whatever type of speed workout you're doing. So you kind of give yourself a chance to get that get kind of going before you hit the hard part, so to speak, and kind of close that gap. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the thing I first noticed with it was that variance from the floor part in being able to get those last couple reps out. Nice. The, uh, probably the, the most, the most interesting part of this whole adventure, I mean, other than just like, like as soon as I had the, the thing developed and this is really why I wanted to talk to you guys uh, was the nutritional recommendations that had to come along with it. See, like from a medical device perspective and bone density, I had already picked up on the whole idea that is it okay if I switch gears and, and go sure. into nutrition? I know you guys are not bored of that subject. <laughs> uh, so I, I had been reading these meta analyses on, on veganism, vegetarianism and how damaging it is to bone density. And so now I didn't have a horse in the nutrition race and I was going to like, as soon as I prototyped the X3 and started using it and you know, like, like building the protocols, like, like we, we've been discussing going, failing with the, uh, diminishing range, fatiguing with diminishing range. I like the word fatigue better. Uh, failing makes it sound like you broke your arm. People who don't work out, don't, don't understand that word. Uh, so, um, as, as I was doing this, I, I, I thought, okay, like I need to recommend sort of the, the better nutrition program. And I had been ketogenic uh, for 13 years uh, because I read Body Opus years ago, which was a crazy book written by a crazy person uh, who was, I, I don't know, like it was like, like it, 50 different things you can do to optimize performance. 
pretty much 49 of those 50 things involved breaking the law and uh, totally like forgetting about your health. Like it was like one of the worst books I've ever written, but kind of interesting at the same time. But the only thing that was in there was like ketogenic nutrition. I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, that sounds interesting. And it worked and it worked really well for me. And then as I was developing the medical device, I learned so much about uh, how, how you want to avoid vegan, vegetarian nutrition if you want to optimize bone density. So I'm telling basically the postmenopausal population, vegetables aren't so great. Like there's oxalates in there that are actually performance robbing uh, uh, elements. And so I, I, I was you know, telling them it's, it's very, very contradictory information, especially with that population. These are women 50 plus. They've heard their whole lives that they need to have as many vegetables as they can possibly choke down. And I'm saying, yeah, I, I don't think that's quite right. And and then when launching the X3, uh, I came across, I really started doing, it wasn't just ketogenic. It was like, all right, how, how deep can I go? How much can I learn here? So I, I came from a researcher's perspective with a pretty clean slate other than what I knew about bone density and nutrition. And I, uh, I landed on carnivore. Like it was, it was like awesome. Like, like, and, and, and another thing, you guys had uh, uh, Professor Jose Antonio on your show not that long ago. One of the best podcasts of any podcast ever. That guy is awesome. He's the most researched guy in, in, in high protein nutrition. And uh, you know, once you understand how much protein your body can absorb and turn into muscle protein synthesis, there's not a lot of room in your intestines for anything else. And, and I, that's why I, the way I present it to people is people say, well, don't tell me, you know, carbs are bad because like energy, whatever. And like if you understand muscle protein synthesis and maximizing it, you, you don't have enough intestines to digest more than the protein you need and the fat that comes along with it, provided you're not, you know, supplementing or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that podcast with Jose was pretty enlightening, you know, and, and you know, it's, we, we've got this sort of dichotomy of there's people out there saying protein is evil and we should minimize it and just kind of prevent our longevity and, you know, all this stuff. And I, and I think there's, it's just so much more nuanced than that. Um, we've got, uh, we've got a guy interesting that's coming out, Keith Barr, who, who will go into some of the nuance on, you know, things around mTOR and how you want to differentially, ex you know, express it for muscle. But, you know, the, there's other times you don't do that. So you couple higher protein diets with exercise, particularly resistance training. And then I think that's, that's where the, the, the magic starts to happen. But I do, I do want to, you know, continue to talk a little bit about muscle growth because I think it's an important topic and we can get back to nutrition, but, uh, and, you know, obviously I, I'm obviously, I think carnivore diet is a, is a, a wonderful tool. And I think, you know, we're learning more as we're seeing that all these people are getting healthy doing it, that, that, you know, we've got, we've kind of misguided ourselves with it, with, with nutrition for years, but, um, one of the things, you know, cause I, you know, I've heard you talk about, you know, absence of soreness, you know, cause you know, most of us think, you know, this is a, this is a process of muscle building. You know, you get in there, um, you tear yourself up, you know, you're sore, you know, for a day or two. And that means that, uh, now it's, you know, now we're going to rebuild. And, and I've, I've heard you kind of have a different take on that. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that particular thought and how, you know, this sort of style of training, you know, how, how supposedly does, does it, 
build muscle more efficiently than, than, than the, the more traditional tear sure. it down, build it back up type of thought. Sure. Uh, so when you do a set with X3 and you first fatigue the strong range, which is something you typically cannot do with a weight, and then you diminish the range and the, and the reps get shorter, you're fatiguing the mid range with a lighter weight, which is something, again, you can't really do with a weight. And then finally, you get to the fatigue in the weaker range using a lighter weight, but so much of the tissue has already been shut off uh, because of exhaustion. Uh, it's, a, it's a much deeper level of stimulus, but people notice, like, I don't get sore. Like, I thought soreness had to do with growth. Well, a lot of soreness that people sense is like micro tearing. And really, there's, there's three ways we increase strength. There's the myofibril type growth, which is the aggressive protein synthesis, the, the active myosin coming together to make new myofibrils. Uh, that is from a structural fatigue of muscle. So this is very explosive powerlifting can get this. Um, gymnastics can get this with high impact absorption, my, myofibril growth. Typically like bodybuilders, they don't get a lot of this. They get more sarcoplasmic growth. So they're exhausting the tissue. They're wiping out the ATP, the glycogen, the creatine phosphate as fast as possible. So, or as fast as they can possibly do it. And by doing that, they're showing the central nervous system, okay, we used all the fuel in this cell. Now we gotta add the fuel back and as adaptation goes, we're gonna put some more fuel in that, in that cell. So uh, when you're doing an X3, so uh, the, the, the third, sorry, the third type of uh, strength adaptation is neurological. So, and this is another thing where, where you, like when, when you did the Highland games, things like that, like once you get that technique, all of a sudden your output is like double what it was a couple months before because you're, you trained your body how to fire as many cells as possible to get that job done. And you know, that's, that's like a skill. So somebody who's built a lot of raw output with X3, it doesn't mean they're gonna go and win the CrossFit games if they're not also participating in those other events in practice because they got they gotta train the neurology. So that's really where the three places that strength is coming from. And it's been a, I believe, kind of a distraction that these micro tears are really the answer. When, when you look at, there's more micro tears with marathon runners than there are with weightlifters. Like, it, it, they're not bad, they're not good. They're a consequence of exercise, but they don't lead to growth necessarily. So when you don't get sore from X3, but I, I still see people swapping 20 pounds of body fat for muscle, in a couple months, it, they're certainly growing, but they never got sore. And that's, that's part of the reason why there's, there's none, none of the tearing. And, and uh, I think that has to do with these heavy loads being used in the weaker range of motion. I think it's pretty hard on the joints and uh, it's hard on the musculature too. And so the recovery time is pretty quick. That, that makes a lot of sense, John, when I think about it too, because I, within my sport of kind of trail running at the ultra marathon distance, it, the, the, the running kind of joke or comment that we always say is you finish a race the next day, your, your quads are just thrashed and everyone thinks it's the uphills that did it, 
It's, no, it's the downhills. Oh, that yeah, the strike. <laughs> yeah, the deceleration that you must embrace as your contact in the ground, plus the velocity of basically a fall. Yeah, that's 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 uh, you know a gymnast type stimulus in in massive repetition. That's very hard on on the muscle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know it's the same reason why like if I went out and did a training block that was just on flat ground. Um, and then decided after that, I mean, I could get really fit doing that at that environment. And then I switched to an environment that had a lot of downhill running in it. I would have to do a fraction of the percentage of that downhill running based on the volume I was doing before. And I would be way more sore the next day just because I hadn't exposed my body to that sort of uh, eccentric contraction. So it's really interesting to kind of think about it from that angle. Yeah. Yeah, I want to let, let's. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, you know just the last you know because we talk about the things I call Young's modulus where we look at the the the, the elasticity of, of different different compounds and we have something for bone and we, we try to match in orthopedic implants we try to match bone to things like titanium and, and stainless steel and cobalt chromium alloys and stuff like that so they match a little bit but you know because I think it's you know, I, I see these different bands in here and, you know, I, I've got the orange one, which, you know, I guess you, you have for the people that have a little stronger in certain ranges, but um, do you find that, uh, what are you, what's been your experience with different, like I've got my girlfriend and she's tiny. I mean, she's 110 pounds, 115 pounds. And so she struggles with the white one, you know, I mean, just cause she's little and, and, you know, depending on the exercise, but I mean, are you finding that uh, different people of different strength levels have different do these bands accommodate that for everybody? I'm, Cause I, you know, I, I know what it does for me and I've, I've got to, you know, I got to stick to the, the, the yeah. three, th three heaviest ones for the most part. So when I, when I tested X3, um, because I wanted to make sure that it was good enough for the strongest people out there. So I, the, the, the individual I felt like I was addressing was somebody like me, like an executive like I was traveling all over the world for this medical device project and I liked to exercise. So I thought I can bring it with me wherever I go. Uh, I got my whole gym with me, you know, weighs 12 pounds. Like I can put it in my check bag. Uh, so that, that was awesome. But also like when I'm at home, I, you know, I could have it in my office. So in the middle of the day, I can just bang out a workout uh, and then head to lunch. Uh, so, so it was, it was that, that's who I designed it for, but I want to take the regular guy and give him the type of stimulus that'll turn him into a person who feels like a high performance athlete, dramatic strength increases, dramatic body composition improvements. Um, if you're not already, you know, male and maybe a little bit stronger, uh, yeah, it, Shit's heavy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my, my, my girlfriend struggles with, uh, with the white. Well, she struggled with the white band in the beginning, but now she almost never uses the white band. In fact, she deadlifts with uh, the dark gray, which is like the, you know, the, third, the third heaviest one. And she's about the same size as your girlfriend. So, yeah, I mean, they, they build the strength. But, yeah, the, it's, I think sometimes somebody sees X3 and goes, it's a rubber band trainer yeah it's a rubber band trainer where you can do you know six seven hundred pound deadlift 500 pound chest press like it's no joke like it's going to put massive force through muscle which is going to trigger some serious growth so it's not it's not easy it's not like she's going to chat with her girlfriends uh you know while she's lifting 
Hey, John, we talked about this on the phone a little bit. You know, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of people that are proponents of what's called hit style of training, and it's basically, you know, kind of, you know, this would certainly, at least in my understanding, fit this, did that bill to some degree, you know, where it's, you know, go to failure, kind of, you know, you know, just go to, go to failure as hard as you can. And I don't like the term failure, but, you know, go to full fatigue. I know what you're talking about. But um, what do you, I mean, what is the deal with frequency here? Because, you know, and, and timing, because, you know, it seems like, you know, I'll walk around the house and it's in my, it's in my, it's in my horse tree. Yeah, I've got a, my, my gym is basically a frigging horse stable. You know, I kicked the, we don't have horses. So I've got, you know, I've got my gym equipment in there. I'll walk down there and I'll like, I'll go in there and I'll just jump in there and do a set of something, you know, just periodically throughout the day. Is there any, you know, and, and I know you've got a, a little sort of suggested workout routine where you do, you know, three or four of these exercises one day and three or four of these the other, other days. Right. Um, do, do they, can they be spaced out like that where, you know, because, you know, these things only take a minute. I mean, you get in there, you bang on a set and you're done in a minute. I mean, is it something you could do throughout the day or, you know, I, I mean, uh, and I do appreciate the travel aspect of it because, you know, when you go to a, when you go to a, a typical hotel, you know, they got a few bump, dumbbells, a, a treadmill and, and maybe a friggin', you know, 19... 90s bosu ball or some some garbage in there right. it's garbage yeah i mean it's <laughs> nothing. if you're interested in running at all the treadmill is like a complete like just let down like it's like a, <laughs> total piece of garbage yeah yeah but i'm just wondering about the frequency and you know because a lot of the hit proponents are like you know it's, you know some of them are like it's only you only gotta work out once a week and, and what are your thoughts on that sort of stuff so uh when we look at, there's a muscle biopsy study, which I believe was done in 2012, which looked at when protein synthesis is done after a strength training session. And I know like Arthur Jones theorized it took a week. And uh, uh, Dorian Yates and Mike Menser, two bodybuilders. Uh, Arthur Jones, by the way, is for those listening, he's the inventor of Nautilus. So um, then, then two bodybuilders really focused on what Jones was talking about. And they would say somewhere between four and five days and two weeks, depending on what it was. So like, I think there was a period of time where Mike Menser was squatting like once every other week and uh, with one set. And, and so I thought, okay, I'm looking at these different recommendations. Uh, I really wanted to find something that was a little more than just someone's opinion and trial and error. Like, so when I found the muscle biopsy study, protein synthesis is done in 36 hours. So you can hit a muscle, like we wait 48, it fits a lot better on your calendar uh, to hit the same muscle every 48 hours. So, so like there's workout A and workout B, you know, you do workout A Monday and then B Tuesday and just repeat and then take Sunday off. So you hit every muscle three times in a week. Uh, and I go up in, in reps, either full or partial reps, just about every workout. And I have for two years. Uh, and I put on 45 pounds of lean mass and lost 16 pounds of fat in that, in that period of time. Uh, so I, I, I believe in that study. Um, it's a great study. It's, you know, a biopsy study is pretty conclusive. So it's not like, you know, epidemiology. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, then that, that's really what, what built the protocol. One set is what's recommended because ultimately when we look at stimulus and adaptation and like, like, 
when I, when I say to some, somebody says to me, well, why, why only one set? And I say, okay, well, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at a person and they have a suntan, okay, you have a tan. How many sets did you do in the sunlight to get that tan? You know, they look at me like, what? Right. You stimulate once and there's a response. So bone density, the minimum dose response. This is, this is a great uh, piece of cocktail party conversation. You can dazzle your friends with this. 4.2 multiples of body weight is required to trigger bone growth in the hip. If you do not meet or exceed 4.2 multiples of body weight, you trigger nothing. So you can have 3.5 multiples of body weight loaded to your hip in 100 loading cycles. You get nothing. You exceed 4.2 multiples of body weight one time, and we see with bone turnover markers, with blood tests, you can see the bone metabolic rate changes past that level of one experience, which by the way, could last a hundredth of a second. So like for a gymnast is when they absorb high impact. So the way we adapt, we really need one stimulus that's of the minimum dose response. And so when it comes to the X3 sets, we're going to such a deeper level of fatigue than we are with regular lifting, you only need to do one set. And so like, if you wanted to do like, now if you spaced your sets out, like, so like uh, if I did chest press and then took five minutes off and, you know, took, took a phone call or something like that and then went back to it, that's not a problem if I don't immediately do triceps after my chest press, but I'm only going to do one set of chest press. Yeah, I mean, I, that, and that's the way I've been, I've been, you know, playing with this. And, you know, and I, you know, like I said, I, I think the, the, the key, though, is just you, you have to really just, you know, you got to go until you can't go. <laughs> that's yeah. Let's see. I, I, you know, I think that has to be very, uh, very important part to this. Um, what I think about traveling, I mean, are you, you, thought, you ever think about making a bag for this thing? Because it looks like you could have a little X3 bag or something like it's that. process. Oh, it yeah. is. Yeah, I was going to say a nice travel case for it, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that would be my – that would be – you know, I'm just thinking about things I would say that, you know, because I, I fully intend on bringing it with me when I travel just because, uh, you know, I, I – I, you know, you know, for me, and I agree with you, for somebody who's been – I've been lifting for years, and I, and I like going to the gym, and I like doing the deadlifts, and I like doing the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the high pulls and the snatches and, you know, jumping and all that stuff. So I'm not going to continue to stop doing those things just because – you know, like I said, there's skills, and, and I think there's there's benefits for doing that. But I, but again, I think the the confusion comes in where people talk about um, bodybuilding, putting on muscle, and then actually the display of that muscle. And you have to do the skills to do that efficiently. Like I said, any sport you're going to be in, you know, like you said, you use the, the 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 golfer analogy. But you know, like I said, I, I still like to be able to sprint fast and jump high and and do all those things. So I got to do those things, you know. But I mean, the strength is going to the strength and the muscle growth is going to, is going to be a tool to get me there. And I think that's, you know, cause a lot of people, they want to frame everything through bodybuilding when, when, you know, as, as the pinnacle of all athleticism and health, and I'm like, no, that's not it. I mean, that's muscle growth. Because, yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of unhealthy bodybuilders. I mean, there was an unfortunate guy that just passed away recently. I can't remember the guy's name, but you know, and of course the vegans are saying, good job. You know, I'm glad you're dead. Cause you ate meat. I mean, it's just the craziness that comes out there. These people. Right. Everybody that has a heart attack, it's because they had like a burger once. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, they, they, they happen to breathe air too. I mean, goodness, we should all stop breathing air perhaps, but, uh, right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, the interesting thing. And I do like the way that you frame it is to, is to do it as like a finishing set for a lot of things. And I haven't, and honestly, I haven't done, I haven't tried that yet. I'm going to, you know, get in there and do a, you know, a, cause I've got a home gym. I maybe get in there and do a regular, you know, deadlift workout and then go in there and throw this in as a last set. And I'm sure I'll be completely, you know, yeah, it's, it's also a tool, and I recommend everybody who's already got a training program, who's already conditioning for something. And, you know, Sean, Zach, you guys are conditioning for a couple of things that you're doing. Um, and you got to blend that in and figure out how to dovetail it right into what what exactly your, your protocol and your goals are. Uh, for most people to get the product out, they it, that's all they do that's all i do i do nothing other than x3 and uh you know i continue to put on mass and uh, but I'm, I'm also trying to prove a point i would like to get back to sprinting uh at some point i was a great downhill skier for years i kind of stopped doing that just because i don't i don't want any distraction from what i'm you know what my mission is at the moment uh so i'm just pure x3 not because that's what everybody needs to do but I'm, I'm really trying to show everybody what what i can do when i just take this simple elegant little tool and massively change my body with it yeah i had one question to kind of follow up with what sean was asking too before about kind of using it as this like a setup where like you kind of have a busy schedule for the day but you know you're going to have like a couple minute breaks here and there and you just quick hop in and, and do a set and then bounce back to what you're doing and just break it up throughout the course of the day. And I was, I was listening to a podcast with um, Dr. Andy Galpin and he was talking about kind of this idea where a lot of times people they'll go into the weight room and they will kind of interchangeably think about strength versus kind of explosive power. And uh, the reason they were kind of talking about it was because they were discussing this situation where they had this guy who was just, just a monster on weights. Uh, but when it came to his, I think he was like a mixed martial artist of some form, but when it came to, they were analyzing his, like his, his punching power. And they noticed that there was, it was really lacking compared to how strong he actually was. There were guys who were much weaker than him punching way harder. And they said it was because he didn't have a whole lot of explosive power through his punch. And what they did is they kind of switched him from doing like his more traditional, like, uh, three by five sets or something in the weight room to doing more sets with lower reps to take advantage of this kind of first rep phenomenon where you're going to get the most explosive part of your lift out of those first one or two sets. So they're trying to leverage the amount of volume he was spending on those first reps in order to improve his power. And that really helped that explosive part of it. Is that kind of something that you look at with X3 or training as, as another kind of angle too? like, what is your goal here versus kind of how someone is going to implement it. So, so from a raw output standpoint, we're engaging more of the musculature because we're changing the weight as we get into a more capable range of motion. So like X3 would have helped that or would help that guy in switching on more musculature. Uh, but there's also, like I mentioned with the golf swing or with a powerlifting movement, there's a neurological process. There's a firing pattern and uh, you have to, you have to do both of those things, but yeah, you'd also, and, and there's a couple of different philosophies when it comes to lifting and uh, 
in like long-term potentiation. You know, first you get a short-term potentiation, meaning you, you train the body how to fire it. And, and, and then firing in that pattern, becoming almost automatic. That's a long-term potentiation kind of thing. And when you, when you look at that, it's, it's different strategies to get more tissue to fire in a shorter period of time. Uh, and the, the two different sort of philosophies I've heard, uh, one has to do with like, if you, you can draw a straight line on a piece of paper real fast, uh, sort of like you can jerk a weight and make it move through space really quickly. But if you draw a straight line really slowly, it's a lot harder and a lot more stabilization has to take place to keep that line on that piece of paper straight. So when you lift slower, stabilizers have to fire, which makes you more balanced. The more balanced you are, the less neural inhibition you have. So if you lose your balance during a lift or something like that, you just lose your strength. Like, you, you know, your muscles start to shut off. So I've always been a big fan of, of that philosophy. And it's very difficult to do like a randomized control trial on like two different protocols because there's so many different biomechanics issues with anybody who is athletic who you test this on. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't say there's anything conclusive, but I would have somebody try and get the heaviest loads on their body with moving slow and controlled so they could get the stabilizers active. Like that, that may be part of that guy's problem. I'd love to see what his lifts look like. Hey, John, speaking of stabilizers, that's one thing that, that you, you know, you kind of see with this is because, you know, when you're used to using machines or, or weights, they're very well balanced. And yeah. I find with the X3, there's a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of, you know, you get a little of that going in there. And I know a lot of people have used like, bamboo bars and, and different things to sort of you know force that to happen and you get this you know you have to you have to stabilize it it's not as is sort of uh you know because you know because that, that tension on the band is pushing you down and, and you know it's it's not like i said it's not controlled by a cam on a machine it's just right. you know it's just kind of you and you fighting against this this sort of resistance it's almost and I don't know, can you speak to, to whether advantages or disadvantages of that particular phenomenon? Yes. Uh, in two, summer 2016, I published a meta-analysis on stabilization firing and how it connects with upregulation pulses of growth hormone. So uh, there's, there's a, one, of the, one of the references in that meta-analysis. It wasn't included in the meta-analysis, but it was a reference that I used when you compare free weight squats and the growth hormone effect. We see somebody who does a, I think it was a 12 rep to fatigue set, they can increase their growth hormone levels by 600%. You take somebody on a leg press who's using almost double the amount of weight, you know how much growth hormone they got out of that? None. No change over baseline. And it's because the stabilizers are there to switch the musculature on. And that's just how we're, that's how we're wired. That's how we are. So I, I like anything that, that challenges the, the stabilization. And what, what I ended up finding in that meta-analysis was I found 23 different published data sets that showed that stabilization firing in rapid succession increases growth hormone 
And if you add load to the stabilization, as in it's, you know, like you can stand on one foot and there's some stabilization firing, but if you stand on one foot and you're holding, uh, you know, something heavy, like a hundred pound bag of sand, well now all of a sudden your obliques, your quadratus, your spinal rack is your traps. Like there's stabilization firing going on all over your body to keep you from tipping over. And that's a much more upregulatory uh, experience for, for GH. And, and we, we saw that as upwards of 2000%. Now, one thing I, that's a, a principle of X3 is like, like in an overhead press, your, your core is firing in an overhead press of any type. But when you're using X3, you're holding a low weight when you're at the bottom and the bar is you know, close to your face. But then as you get into a stronger range of motion, you're holding a weight you might not even be able to get there, might not even be able to unrack because the weight goes up as you go into the more contracted position. And then you can look at the core of somebody and it's just jackhammering. Your, your core is just vibrating because there's so much stabilization firing going on. And, and, and then we, we get that growth hormone benefit, which is why some of these people who use a product, they, they lose body fat a lot quicker. Now for a word from our sponsors. What are you doing with that X3 bar? What's your experience been so far? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great so far. I've been using it quite a bit at home. It's saved me a couple trips to the gym. I've been mostly doing deadlifts with it, and I've actually brought it on a couple trips with me too because it's pretty easy to throw in, uh, into a rolling duffel and kind of bring with you on the road. Yeah, I mean, I found particularly the deadlift, um, you know, I've been a pretty decent deadlifter and, you know, I pulled over 700 pounds and I know when I use this big orange band, it, uh, it's pretty tough. It, it actually, for a band workout, it definitely simulates the heavy lifting. I think you're right. It's uh, very nicely suited for travel, for sure. It's a good, uh, certainly accessory exercise for many people. And I think a lot of people can use it as a primary uh, training tool, depending upon what the goals are. But I think the key I found is you've got to use it as designed, and that includes uh, really pushing to failure. And when you get there, you really know it. It definitely gets your heart rate up, even though even things like biceps curls, I find my heart rate jacked up after doing that. So I think I've been pretty impressed with the product overall uh, in certain situations for sure. Awesome. And uh, Dr. Jakish has a uh, poster that comes with it that gives you a kind of a breakdown of kind of the moves and different lifts that he addresses with it too. Head over to x3bar.com for products, videos, and training programs. Now back to the show. What do you, I mean, because obviously there's no cardiovascular, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I should say there's no traditional cardio in this sort of thing. I mean, Talk about the cardiovascular effects, uh, you know, like I said, because, you know, like I said, I was in there doing biceps curl and, and my heart rate was up, which was, you know, a little surprising to me. I mean, I, you know, I've done, like I said, I've done 20 rep squat routines for years and, you know, you get done with a set of 20 rep squats with 300 pounds or something and your heart rate's jacked up. But I mean, for sure. you know, but I'm seeing that on, you know, just on biceps curl. So let's talk a little bit about cardiovascular benefits of weight training in general or, you know, or you can, you can sort of specify it to the X3. Sure. Uh, there's a few meta-analyses that look at strength training versus endurance training. Now, again, there's a neurological firing pattern, you know, mid-foot strike. Zach knows, you know, when you, when, you, when you get your foot strike right when you're a runner, like all of a sudden, a lot becomes easier, become a much more efficient machine. So, like, there are those elements of 
what happens when you do cardiovascular exercise. However, just from a cardiac perspective, the research pretty clear that strength training and endurance training both give you a really healthy cardiovascular system. Uh, and so like, like brief episodes of very high intensity work uh, really have this, the same impact on, on cardiac health as the longer sustained uh, type, type activity. So like, I, I, I don't do any cardio and nor will I, I'm just going to keep doing X3. Now, like you said, Sean, like I am leveled when I do a set of X3, like I, I got to sit down, like I'm, I'm just like totally gassed and uh, you know, I wait for my heart rate to go back down before I do my next set. Each workout's only four sets. So don't really have to worry about it. But then, then, then afterward I can, I can go about my day but it is uh, it is a, a devastating um, you know, experience because you're you're taking the muscle to a deeper level of fatigue. You're calling for more, more blood flow. Um, you're using more oxygen and blood, so it forces your heart to pump blood hard. Yeah, and I think sometimes too, when when people look at like it, really depends on what your goal is. Like if your goal is just cardiac like health, then you know if you're time crunched you're probably better off, you know, ripping off a few sets on the X3 or doing some sort of hit workout than you are to spend, you know, 60 plus minutes doing something really slow for those benefits. And sure. I mean, unless your goal is to be able to run slow for a long period of time, in which case right. then it's specificity type mindset. Right. Ultimately, somebody who's running for distance, your goal is to fire the least amount of tissue mm -hmm. over the longest period of time. You want to be efficient. So firing a lot of tissue is not what you want be the least amount that can carry your body forward so uh uh it, it's uh certainly a very different goal but from a cardiac perspective pretty much the same there's a great article uh that references a number of meta-analyses uh and I, I don't remember who the author of this this particular paper is but it's called there's no such thing as cardio and it really describes cardio as just a different type of strength training like it's just strength training like you're contracting a muscle you're trying to get more performance out of the muscle and it was it's and it has it's referenced all the way through really well um and it wasn't academically published it was just somebody who made a bunch of observations and was trying to talk about the same same thing we're trying to talk about how like strength training cardiovascular training they're both great but from a, a cardiac health perspective, if you're doing one or the other, you're, you're going to have a healthy heart. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you find that, uh, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you do with, uh, I mean, cause you're training, I guess every day, except you take one day off a week, I guess. Is that, is that how that works? Yeah. Do you okay. find, do you find that you, you have to, you, you play with nutrition around training time or, or what are your thoughts on, I know because we've had a lot of protein researchers on talking about nutrient timing and getting protein in around workouts. Are you finding that that has an effect on, on what you do? Uh, I mean, short answer is no. I try and work out with no food in my system uh, <clears throat> just to get the maximum blood flow to musculature. Uh, so then that's for performance. And I, I usually eat afterward. Now there's also no such thing as the anabolic window. 
that's that's pretty well understood like the whole idea that you need to get your protein in like whatever 20 minutes after you eat or or my favorite is you need a carbohydrate drink uh you need some sugar crap uh you know before or after you work out none of that shit's true so uh like i i typically work out and and then i'll have uh either one or, or two meals in a day but just as long as i get my my 300 grams of protein in a day like it's usually at the end of the day because that's when i'm hungry that's it it doesn't matter i don't i don't i'm trying to time it at all and I'm, I'm growing faster than i grew when i was 16 years old so i, I know it's working and i know like the recommendations that uh professor antonio uh and and all the higher protein research like that works yeah it seems like you know any effect of eating you know within an hour is, is minimal at best i mean I, I think some of the studies show you know 48 hours or something like that so that window is really a barn door um do you know let me because i you know i've got your little cheat sheet on the workouts you do and i saw you've got a couple bonus workouts with split squats and the you know kind of the cable crossover type are there any other exercises out there that you're doing besides those that that uh, you can use the x3 for that haven't uh, been described already? Great question. The answer is no. I'm doing exactly what is on the training website on jwishbiomedical.com the, the, or the x3bar.com uh, training program website. That's exactly what I do. Uh, and But I've seen people, I hesitate to say like some of the smarter exercise science fans out there can come up with some different variations because I've said that in the past and then I've seen people do not so smart things with it <laughs> that may, that may, uh, you know, increase chances of injury or, you know, just like you can see all kinds of fitness product products used in really not so clever ways. In fact, there's, you know, you go on YouTube and it's full Instagram accounts dedicated to that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, just injuries everywhere and things like that. So I, I, I hesitate saying, go ahead and invent your own way to use it. Like, you can do that if you really know what you're doing. The problem is a lot of people think they know what they're doing and they don't. So, uh, yeah, I, I just stick to, what, to what's out there. And if, and if somebody can show me like a, like a different protocol and something that might be helpful, I'll definitely try and make a training video so people do that right. And then, of course, the paperwork that comes with the X3, I say, like, don't deviate from the program. I mean, part of that is just liability. You know, somebody does something stupid with it. It's like, okay, well, nobody told you to do that. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, uh, it's a tool. You can, you can put it to work in different ways. Now, like hook grip, you just mentioned hook grip with your deadlifts. Most people don't know what a hook grip is. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's a serious deadlift term. And, um, also I don't think most people can handle a hook grip because it's pretty hard on the thumb. Like it's this, there's some, there's some discomfort there. So, uh, yeah, like I don't use a hook grip because I don't tell anybody to use a hook grip, but if you want to do that, you're going to do great. 
Yeah, I found for me, I had to use a hook grip because the bands were so were heavy enough that that if I didn't, it was pulling out of my hands. You know, particularly as I got to lock out with that dead orange thing. So I, because the first day I did, I wasn't thinking about it. I normally hook grip anyway. I've been doing it for years. I pulled over seven hundred pounds with a hook grip. You know, on a conventional bar, and so I found that. Uh, and you're right, it's it's absolutely it can be very painful on the thumbs, and it takes a while to build up to that. But uh, you know, I think for me to get the 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 you know, the benefit of, of not my, my hands, you know, grip failing before my back does. I've got to, I've got to have a, you know, something to hold on and hook. I mean, I guess you could use, you could potentially use straps like you could on a regular bar as well, you know, if you wanted to do that. I, I don't see a, you know, any shame in using straps, you know, if you're, if you're, if, if, if your grip's failing, you want to work on your back. I mean, you know, if you're going to compete, then you, you need to develop, develop that, you know, we're talking about a different situation. We're speaking about a sport, sure. you know, with powerlifting, you got to, you got to, you got to be able to hang on to the bar. So, yeah, that's an important. Oh, building your grip strength is that's really important. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would argue it is, but I mean, like I said, at the same time, you know, it may take a while for your grip to, to get strength to catch up to your back, and and I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, our backs are huge, you know, our forearms are relatively small, but uh, and you know, having big hands helps a lot for that sort of thing. So that's that's another advantage there. Um, are you seeing, like, I'm speaking of, speaking of safety, because I mean, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, you thinking it, cause there's so much force in the thing. If you somehow lost the bar, you know, would it smack you or something like, I mean, is there, talk about potential of misuses for this. Cause I don't want anybody in there to kind of get hurt. So what, what sort of potential silly things oh, yeah. you heard people doing it's, or potential serious strength training. So you got to hang on to the bar just like other serious strength training. So, you know, if you're benching and you have a heavy load up above your body, most people realize if they let go of that, it could hurt them or maybe even kill them. Now, the good news is there have been people who have let go of the bar. Uh, and coincidentally, they were, I believe, doing something reckless, like maybe handling the orange band. You know, that's for a six foot tall person, that's, five, that's a 500 pound. Uh, chest press at the top. Uh, I see some people who are trying to use that band who really should not. They, they haven't graduated to that band yet. Trying anyway, and and the good news is it's not like 500 pounds is going to come crashing down on you. It's going to the bar, which weighs uh, eight pounds, will catapult towards you at speed but ultimately it doesn't have the kind of mass that's going to crush bone uh it'll smack you it'll hurt could knock the wind out of you but probably the worst thing that's going to happen uh one thing when when you do have somebody who's doing like a tricep type press so the the band you know comes around your deltoid and goes into the bar and so you're pushing out you know with your triceps um you got to wrap your thumbs not a suicide grip so they call it the suicide grip for a reason so like we we make sure to instruct people to use it correctly and you know it's just same same kind of warnings like you can't not pay attention because it's uh not weights because it's still giving you incredible amounts of force but i'm glad you brought that up because yes that is a thing we do we do definitely try and educate people on that yeah, I mean, I mean, I think anybody that if you use one of those heavy bands, you get you feel pretty quickly that you know there's a lot of force on here, and it can throw you kind of, kind of move you around, uh, you know, um, you know that sort of thing. Um, 
you know, and the other thing is like, don't step off the platform while you're, you know, while you're engaged with pulling, uh, that would be another potential, I think, issue for people. I don't know if you have people oh, yeah. Yeah. that sort of thing, but, uh, all right off of it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's, uh, you know, cause when I used to do Highland games, we would throw a 56 pound weight, you know, and you get spinning with a thing and the thing would knock people over. I mean, it's, and it's, you know, and, and I, and you need to see how much force is developed when you, when you're doing these sorts of things. So, I mean, the, the potential there is certainly there. So you can't, you know, like I said, I think if you get the, if you get the usual fitness bands, they're so weak that you're not going to do anything with this, but these right. are right. definitely, let me ask you, how long are these bands projected to last? Because I had some bands I use for years, you know, they were, they were decent bands and they eventually kind of dried out and, you know, they lost their elasticity and I, and I just throw them out. But I mean, what, what is the projected half-life on these things? So what the factory tells me now, I, I had the, so there's a, a width to the band and uh, there's, there's a depth. And so what X3 has going for it is the, our, our bands are a lot deeper than any that have been produced to date. So they have a lot more power in them than what, what other latex bands are. Now, when you're talking about bands that are drying out, those are petroleum based. Whereas the X3 bands are come from trees. So it's tree rubber, uh, tree la latex and uh, much more powerful and it's layered. So the bands don't snap, they fray like a rope. So like a, a band will, like if you cut one by accident or like some, some people like, they take their X3 camping and they make the mistake of doing it on gravel. And so the gravel can cut into a band and then the band just starts coming unraveled. But it's not gonna destroy itself to the point where you're gonna end up smacking yourself uh, because the bar, I mean, the, the, the band snaps, it, it'll just come on, you know, sort of unravel. So each one of them is 30 layers of latex. And uh, they, I'm told by the factory that they should last nine years. Uh, provided they're not like intentionally damaged or just with neglect or something like that. But uh, I mean, the, the ones that I started testing with two years ago, I'm still using those, those weren't custom made for me. They were a little weaker than, than the actual official X3 ones, but I have those in my place in San Francisco and uh, whenever I'm there and I use that, uh, they're fine. Not, no, no sign of wear or anything. Have you ever had people, I mean, I'm just kind of, you know, is there like an ad, can you like combine two bands as one, like, you know, like an in-between, like add that little white one? Oh, yeah. to, to get For sure. You? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I haven't done much experimentation with that. Now, sometimes when I travel and I want to travel a little lighter, like I'll leave one band out or something like that and just stack a couple bands up. But the, the gradients of, of, of those things are, there's a pretty strong difference between each one. And so throwing in the white band on top of whatever other band you're using can, can be very productive. Also gives you the, the chance of a more progressive resistance though. I think that term gets sort of overused and people get, for some strange reason, way too excited about what progressive resistance really means. Don't know why. Yeah, I mean that's a, that, that. I guess that's the difference in the mindset because you know you don't really know how much weight you're using. You're just kind of like, you know, I, I think there's an advantage of that because you know when I when I train with weights, I'm like, I'm going to get X amount of weights for X amount of reps, you know, and, and that's in my mind. But with this, is just going until you fail. And, and I think if you don't know 
you really don't know what you do. You know, you don't know what the load is. I mean, at any given time, you know, particularly with, you know, you might know because you've, you've tested it and stuff like that, but I don't, I'm just like, I'm going to pick something that I think, you know, like I said, and when we talk about weights, well, not weight selection, band selection, because I think that's an important concept of yeah. where you want to be. So we have an app coming out where you enter your height and you then go and that's part of your count. And then you pick what band you're using, what exercise, and it tells you what your peak force is. And then it records your peak forces in for each uh, full rep and then how many partial reps. So you count both full and partial, and then it tracks your progress week by week. So that, that we're, in, we're in prototype. I've been testing it every day. Speak about, because I saw in one of your training videos, you talk about not going into full lockout. You know, you kind of, you stop, you know, uh, smidgen before you lock out completely. And what's, right. what's the thought behind that? So constant tension, one of the, one of the, and it is like a difference between how like a lot of power lifters will view the way they want to move and uh, like a bodybuilder. And this is something that a lot of funny things have come out of bodybuilding, but I think this constant tension concept is something that from a muscular growth perspective is pretty brilliant in that we don't want to shut the muscle off ever when we're taking it through that experience. So, so when you lock out, like when you're at the top of a, of a bench press and you lock your elbows, you're, you're disengaging a lot of the musculature and loading the bone. But the problem is when you, you're trying to get the central nervous system to say, okay, we don't have enough muscle here and we need to grow more. So showing the central nervous system that there's a deficit of tissue and you do that by turning the muscle on and then turning it off, turning it on, turning it off. Is that as intense an experience as keeping it on the whole time and not locking out, stopping just short of lockout because you're in maximum efficiency. Ultimately, like if you look at uh, electron myography in like the tricep, for example, so just single joint movement for simplicity's sake, that's a good one to look at. So your tricep has a, has, a, has a curve and then it drops off right at the very end when the, when the arm gets straight. And that's to keep you from being able to break your own elbow. So like you don't have the power in your triceps when your elbow is locked because otherwise you just destroy your own joint. So it's neural inhibitory processes start shutting the musculature off. So those ranges of motion from a, from a stimulus standpoint, you don't, you don't need them, you don't want them. Uh, now, again, if somebody's training to be competitive at the squat, they probably don't ever want to squat where they don't lock out at the top because that's just what they do. So slightly different approach, but that's why when I instruct people, because the objective behind the product is to be as strong as possible. That's, that's really the, the talk track and there's just other ways to apply it, but the, the, the way the product is uh, where positioned it and the, the programming around it is just to absolutely maximize strength and mass. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, because I'm curious about this, because when you say actually maximize strength, so how do you how do you assess that? I mean, because, you know, normally I would maximize strength as I would say, how much weight can I pick up on a barbell? But if I'm never doing that, then I don't, you know, I'm just where do you get where do you get the feedback that strength is being maximized? That's why I need to do the app. 
That, that yeah, it's it's absolutely required. You're right because people are well, like if there, there's a users group, uh, X3 Bar users group. There's uh, I think 6,500 people in it, um, where they're talking about how they're using their X3, and they they're they're counting their repetitions. They say, okay, my chest press is 15 repetitions with a black band, and then I do five partial repetitions after that, and then the next day they might do 15 or the next, two days later they might do 15 and then seven partial repetitions. And so they, they you know, that was, that was a sort of a better, a better score. Uh, ultimately also, I don't want people to get too wrapped up in the weight because like when Tony Robbins uses it or when you use it, you're stretching the band further. So it's heavier for you than it is for me, a six foot tall guy or, or, you know, like somebody who's shorter than that. So, what the app will do is the reason it asks everyone's height is it's going to calculate the exact weight for each movement with each band and then they can track it that way. Yeah. I mean, I've got particularly long monkey arms. I've got 39 inch sleeves. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I suck at bench press. <laughs> even when I, you know, I mean, I got to a 400 pound bench press when I was powerlifting, but I mean, you know, even then I was just like, I was one of the, for a heavyweight powerlifter, I was, I was like, you know, most of those guys had a 500 pound press and I mean, I could always deadlift, you know, close to 800. So I could, I could catch them on the deadlift, but my bench was always awful for me. But let's talk and about a massive genetic disadvantage for, well, yeah, for bench press. Sure. And, and so, but anyway, that's just the way it is. You're good at some things, bad at others. Talk about speed of repetition because, you know, there's some people that talk about, you know, acceleration momentum, you know, not being as effective. Do you, do you talk to people about the speed of the, the repetitions or does it matter? I mean, I, you know, I see with some of the lighter weights, it's easier to go, you know, lighter bands, you can go a little faster. Uh, is there a band where you have to kind of go slower or what, what's your thought on that? Slow and controlled. Like I, I tell everybody slow and controlled at everything. It, it goes back to the neurological. Well, when I was doing my dissertation, uh, I noticed like I, I, I pulled a lot of information out of some of the, some of the neurology research. Uh, in fact, I consulted with uh, Dr. Raj Singh, uh, who's director of rehabilitation at Barrows Neurological, which is one of the best neural rehab places in the world. Um, and so he was talking to me and he said, you, you really need to look at like the H wave reflexes, the, the, what, what is initiating more tissue to be turned on. So in neural rehab, they're looking at individuals who like, how do we get them to fire more tissue? Because some of these people are heavily damaged and they, they don't have a lot of signaling. And so the, the slow and controlled movements, remember that analogy I gave you about drawing a straight line where the slow versus fast? You draw it slow, you got to fire a lot more musculature. And so it's the same philosophy um, with these you know, kind of like one or two seconds. Like, like the kind of cadence with a chest press is like one two like like that like it's not nothing nothing jerky at all yeah i mean oh, i find oh, if the oh, band one, is one other thing. momentum matters when you're moving iron when you're contracting against uh something that's that's pulling back against you with variance momentum doesn't matter momentum is not even a a, th a thing you're, you're you're punished for trying to use momentum because there isn't any 
Yeah, and I find particularly if you select the band correctly, then you you have to. I mean, you you're basically going slow. I mean, you can't go uh, very fast. You know, it's just it's just it's just just basically impossible. Right. And that answered a question I was going to ask. So I was thinking, like, if uh, if the lower part of the rap is going to be the easier part, then if you get up to speed, you could maybe carry momentum in. But if it, like what you said with the iron versus the rubber band thing, I guess that would become a, a non-issue at that point. Yeah, it just doesn't make a difference. The other thing I, I've seen you talk about is not letting slack get into the system, into the bands. You know, you, you know the range of like. You know, if I were to do a deadlift and I were to let the bar go all the way to the ground and my toes, there'd be no, basically, almost essentially no resistance. So you want to make sure you maintain some level of resistance. Talk a little bit about that. Right. So like we don't lock out at the top, we don't want to let the muscle relax at the bottom. So it is, it is constant tension. So the bottom of the chest press, the bar is actually not laying right against my chest. It might be hovering an inch or two above uh, my sternum. And then I go to push away um, because I want to keep tension through that muscle the entire time. And, and that, that's back to that bodybuilding philosophy of constant tension. You want to fatigue the muscle as much as possible. You don't want to turn on and then turn it off and then turn it on and then turn it off. It's, it's on, it's firing, it's contracting until you just cannot move anymore. Yeah, I want to go back to the bone mineral density thing because I know you – tell me, what's in, remind me the name of the, 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 the big system you have, the $100,000 system. Osteostrong. Osteostrong. So are you, are, do you feel that this thing has a potential to, to do similar that, that the Osteostrong does? I mean, you know, for the most part, or what are your thoughts on – they're pretty different. Bone density. They're pretty different. Uh, okay. Yeah, osteostrong is really targeted at bone. Uh, so we're emulating high impact and we load the bone on its axis. Uh, so the, the range of motion of movement at an osteostrong and osteostrong movement may be a millimeter. And, and that movement comes from the compression of the kinetic chain. So you're compressing the, you know, the small joints. You're compressing the, when, you, when you're doing uh, you know, upper, upper body type uh, press, there's, there's an upper extremities, lower extremities, but you know, compressing the radius, the ulna, compressing the, the hip joint. So that axial compression shows there is a range of motion, but it's tiny. And it's just to get incredible forces through the bone mass to trigger an adaptation there. So uh, I would say somebody who wants to be explosive, Osteostrong is going to give them an athletic benefit from, from a speed perspective. So we've seen people cut like their 40 time from Osteostrong because you're really that, that ex most explosive moment is like I said, uh, the impact ready range of motion. So the impact ready range of motion, you are able to fire the most amount of tissue either in absorption of force deceleration, like Zach, when you run downhill mm -hmm. or from an explosive perspective, a fighter wants to hit somebody when they've got the 120 degree angle of inclusion between the upper arm and the lower arm. They don't want to have their hands close to their face. So uh, same, same kind of thing. So osteostrong just looks at that and then it, it allows people to self-expose uh, the loads. Also with osteostrong, the stimulus is five seconds. So five seconds of compression and the software 
kind of forces you to load slowly and then you discharge pretty slowly too. So it's almost like a, a kind of a yoga experience. There's nothing abrupt. Your the software encourages you to go very slow and controlled uh, because you you want the benefit of the neural inhibitory process. If something's not feeling right, you don't want somebody to fracture because you have neural inhibitory process and the computer screen for biofeedback um, monitoring you while you're going through these different loading events. So it's very safe and very effective. What I tell, like sometimes I'll speak to like an elderly population who's going to be coming into an osteostrong and they're worried. They hear, oh, wow, like I hear women put a thousand pounds through their legs. Like, is that possible? Can I get hurt? Will I break anything? They don't want to get hurt. And I say, okay, everybody do this. Right? So I'm going to put their fist up in the air. And I say, now think about this. If you, can you squeeze your fist hard enough to break your own finger? And they usually look at their own hand and they uh, no, I don't think I can. Right, because of neural inhibition. Your body is gonna shut your musculature off before you're gonna self-create an injury when you're being controlled about it. When there, but now it's an out of control event, like a, a, a high impact, like you fall down a flight of stairs or something like that. <laughs> that's, 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 that's an out of control event. So that's different, but as long as we keep it in control and slow, uh, which is what the software and the robotics inside the device are designed to do. Uh, you kept safe and you can load bone and grow bone very quickly. Hey, John, how would you recommend somebody that, you know, maybe they're training for a sport and they have other workouts to do, they're still going to continue doing that. I mean, what would the workout frequency look like, you know, for, for this, this, the X3, if they wanted to add that in? So it depends on really like the sport that they're doing. It, it, it was very surprising to me. So the Miami heat uses X3 and the way they pretty much do exactly what I do because um, well, for a couple of reasons, one is when you're shooting a basketball, you need to be accurate. You don't want to be sore. So they really like the X3 because they can do a heavy workout and trigger some muscular growth, but there's no soreness. So their shot doesn't get screwed up. So it was like uh, the, the strength, strength coach coaches there, um, Eric Foran, uh, what a stud. Like he just like immediately like saw the product, like perfect, perfect for the players. Uh, the, uh, so they do it pretty much how I do it and they, they they'll even do it before they go and do the practice. So it, it's not really something that's going to get in the way of the other things that you're doing. It's just something that's going to be very effective and make amplify uh, the, the effectiveness of, of what you are, what you are doing. I would caution someone who doesn't want to put on mass to, it might not be your product if you don't want to put on, some size because you're going to grow that that's probably one thing like like every once in a while i come across somebody who's like really they want to stay in a weight class or something like that uh you gotta you gotta be careful because you're, you're going to go through some uh, serious muscular protein synthesis so if that's not what you want to do then then that, that, may, that may not be a good fit you know, are, are you guys looking at any kind of uh i mean uh, it, it may be too early on. I mean, is there anybody looking at any research on this particular product out there? I mean, are you guys doing any kind of biopsies or anything like that at this point? Or is that something in the, in the works? It's in the works. 
Yeah. There's uh, two universities that are just starting uh, some analysis. I think, um, I think they're both really going to get, get going on the research when school gets back in in the fall. Uh, but two universities have reached out to me and said they, they're highly interested in doing some research. Uh, and there's, there's research on variable resistance, but not variable resistance is this strong. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes, and I know it's going to be smashing. Well, awesome. How long has the X3 been out now? I don't know. It's been about a year or something like that? Yeah, like 18 months. Okay. I've been testing it for a little over two years because the first year I, I, I developed the thing. I, I spent $2,000 building the first bar and I had a, a ground plate out of stamped steel, which cut every hard hardwood floor I used it on. So I apologize <laughs> for all the people whose floors I've ruined. Uh, a couple of hotels too. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, oops. Uh, but the, uh, when I first developed it, I was busy with the bone density medical device stuff. And I wasn't planning on starting another company. So I just was planning on using it for myself. And so I got halfway through the first year and I put on 30 pounds of muscle in that first year. And I'm over 40 years old. And I thought like, nobody does that. Like I have to launch this thing is awesome. So it was first theory. And then as I got it into practice, I had to launch it in funny thing. I brought it to a couple of different fitness companies because I thought, okay, like I'm busy. I've got a, a great business already. I don't really have time for this. So I brought it to uh, a, a couple of, um, couple of different fitness companies that I won't mention uh, because they, <laughs> they said some pretty dumb stuff to me, but basically they were afraid of science. They said, you have a scientific argument. That doesn't work in fitness. Nobody cares about science. No one understands it. And I said, you're, are you kidding me? Like, I would imagine, and, and the, they all said the same thing. No one cares about science. There's nothing scientific at all in fitness. Everyone's just doing the same stuff. Like, we'd rather have shinier dumbbells than come out with something that is a scientific argument because nobody will get it. And uh, I thought, okay, like I, 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 I don't believe that the whole world is that stupid. So I'm, I'm going to launch it myself. That, that's why I ended up doing it. Now, I, I do think a large percentage of the world is pretty stupid because <laughs> look at what they're eating. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely eat whatever. <laughs> the system's pretty bad. John, tell us what you have coming up. Uh, you know, I mean, I know you do, it sounds like you're traveling quite a bit. Do you have any kind of stuff that we need to know about in the, in the near future? Uh, yeah, uh, there's, there's all kinds of projects that are going on, working on a, a big project with the UFC. So uh, sort of the, the strength and mass programming for the UFC. I've been working with Forrest Griffin on that. By the way, you should probably get him on your show. Really interesting guy, man. He's got some stories about MMA and joint injuries. And uh, he's head of, uh, he and a, a guy named Duncan French uh, head up the, the uh, Human Performance uh, Institute at, at the UFC in Vegas. Uh, what a training facility. Awesome. Like they, they're, they're just cutting edge everything. And so I worked on a lot of the X-ray programming there. 
and uh, did a lot of video. We're going to launch a big video program for the UFC using X3 uh, in, in just a couple of weeks. Really excited about that. Um, some other things that are, uh, you know, really, really pre preliminary, some other uh, sort of influential people that we're working with. But ultimately, all I want to do is get the product in the hands of the people who are really just going to use it and enjoy it and talk about it like you guys. So, and, and, and also the sort of breadth of different types of athletes that are figuring out ways to apply Cause I'm not going to think of every, every way to use it. Uh, there's a gold medalist swimmer uh, who's, who's been using it. And I, I, Sean, I think he lives near you. Uh, and he applies it in sort of a slightly different way with his swim coach, um, in, uh, her name is Wilma Wong. She's a brilliant woman who's trying to do all kinds. You probably, you probably heard of her. I see you nodding. Uh, so the, um, she's trained a, a bunch of pro swimmers and she's got a slightly different protocol, kind of higher reps. Uh, type thing and uh, she's mi mixing some uh, sort of extreme flexibility in between sets which I think is an interesting uh, uh, approach and I got to learn more about like like what what can come out of that but it's uh, it's a bright future because there's all kinds of ways that people can apply the product and it's so simple and elegant and easy to use easy to put away easy to store easy to carry with you yeah, I mean, the one thing, you know, the one thing I've seen people say, you know, because it takes you a few seconds to kind of get things set up in position. But then I think about, you know, if you go to the gym, you know, you're going to, it takes you a long time to set that stuff up too. I mean, to set up a bar, to load, for me to load a barbell up to five, 600 pounds, you know, it takes 10, you know, five minutes to do that. I mean, I got to carry the weights back and forth. And then I'm just thinking with the bar, you know, I have to, I have to kind of make sure the band is even on both sides, you know, but that, you know, I mean, you know, cause there's criticism about, you know, it's kind of, you got to play with it and get it right. But I mean, I'm just thinking about anything you train, you got to do some of that. And it's really that. Yeah. Oh, you mean taking the time to do it right? That's the problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you exactly. can grab a pencil and use the wrong end of it. Sure. Go, yeah. Yeah. The back of it won't write. So I'm going to go, you know, pencils suck. Like, okay. <laughs> It is funny what people will choose to complain about with that type of stuff too. Cause it's like, you know, like just to get to the gym is going to be longer than it would take to even come close to adjusting the bands properly on something like this. So. Or, or, or doing your whole workout and taking a shower, brushing yeah. <laughs> probably have a mistake. Yeah, you can do all that in the time it takes to drive to the gym. Uh, yeah. Like there's, there's uh, it's, it's so convenient. Well, John, thanks for coming on. I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to use the product and see, you know, see what it does. Cause I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded, but you know, at the same time, I want to, you know, I'm all about results. And so, you know, I'll be happy to see, you know, you know, I'm in my fifties now and uh, awesome. you know, it gets harder when you get older for sure. It does, you know, but I mean, if you keep plugging, you know, it, you know, you, you can continue to continue to do stuff. So this is kind of a cool, kind of a cool tool uh to to add to the to the to the uh you know the, the tool bag i suppose I so. anything else? well and i'm also i'm also using it with uh so many uh guys that, that you're connected with uh matt schweitzer a uh, friend of yours uh he got in great shape uh now he's he's doing it like like you're like you're gonna be doing it like you've been doing it uh finishing set kind of thing uh but he's just be become incredibly conditioned 
just an absolutely shredded individual. Uh, and then of course, uh, Chris Bell is using it and, and I'm going to make sure that we all sort of share stories, uh, to make sure that we were exchanging best practices. And so everybody can optimize what they're doing. Yeah. I would say Matt's, Matt's also doing a carnivore diet and so is Chris. <laughs> oh yeah. But all, all that, that meat plus, uh, meat plus training is, is a good, is a good mixture for sure. Sure is. Awesome, guys. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for taking some time, John, to come on the show. And uh, if, uh, if there's any other camera, did we ask you if you had any, any spots to find you, like social media or anything like that, that you want us to share? Yeah, it's uh, at D-R-J-A-Q-U-I-S-H on uh, Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, then the X3 bar has its own, own website. website too, we'll so we'll link all that to the show notes, too. Com. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for coming on and uh, have a good rest of the day. Awesome, guys. Thanks. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.